This week's TrobeCast is brought to you by The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. To learn more about The Catalyst, visit www.bushcenter.org catalyst. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas talking. Hello, this is Ken Armstrong. Welcome to this week's TripCast. I'm a reporter with The Marshall Project, a nonprofit news organization based in New York. I'd call us the Texas Tribune's East Coast doppelganger, except that sounds kind of creepy. Last week we won the Pulitzer Prize, so we're all aglow. Long live the news biz, nonprofit or otherwise. And now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, and congratulations on the big Pulitzer win. Hashtag jealous. At least Ross Ramsey's jealous. <laughs> uh, this is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the final week of April. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. If you can't win one, your doppelganger should. <laughs> That's true. Political reporter Patrick Svitek. Hello. Who's uh, back from Indiana for this mo- this moment <laughs> in time. Uh, and reporter Jim Malowitz. Howdy. Hello. All right. Uh, so let's, uh, oh, just for a quick reminder, we are, again, like we did last week, we're streaming this week's TribCast live on Facebook Live Video. Um, so tune in, and we'll be taking some um, questions and possible topic ideas throughout the TribCast. Um, we'll wrap up with addressing some of those issues. So hit us up on Facebook. Um, all right. So let's get Patrick off of his phone for a second. I'm and, here. <laughs> and he's, he's never off of his phone. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, let's talk about Cruz's night last night, which sure. was basically like brutal yeah so last night five northeastern states uh, held their primaries uh, Cruz I believe came in uh, third and four of them the one exception was uh, Pennsylvania where he just narrowly edged out John Kasich to come in second um, this was another night in which Donald Trump had a uh, you know you know uh, <laughs> romped his, uh, his worst margin was 29 points exactly and in most of these states last time I checked he was in the high 50s or maybe low 60s in some of them he collected an overwhelming of the uh, delegates that were at stake more than 100 delegates were at way more than 100 delegates were at stake um, Cruz I believe walked away with only a handful of delegates um, really only I think he got you know you only got maybe three or four delegates overall. Three of those are from Rhode Island, where the delegate threshold is so low that he was able to kind of, you know, stumble over yeah. it, basically. Oops, I got a delegate. <laughs> yeah. right. um, and so, yeah, it was, an, it was a night that Cruz knew was going to be bad as far back as, as a week ago. He was telling us, you know, it's likely that Donald Trump's going to have another good night this Tuesday. Um, and he was already moving on. He's been camped out in Indiana since, I believe, Saturday afternoon. He held a, a kind of election night rally in uh uh, Knightstown, Indiana. So is Indiana like a make or break? I mean, how close is Trump sure. now to the numbers that he needs to, you know, make this idea of a brokered convention just a pipe dream? Sure. Well, I mean, Cruz, Cruz's campaign right now is, is in an all-out kind of uh, strategy to deny Trump 1237 delegates before the convention. I mean, that is their sole mission now. And Cruz himself has said if Trump loses Indiana, then he can't get 1237 before the convention. So really, I look at a statement like that, and that, that to me is, is Cruz basically conceding that it is a must-win state for him, right. um, because if Trump does win Indiana, he could get to 1237 mm-hmm. before the convention. It's a little bit like there's still three seconds left in this basketball game. Exactly. Yeah, right. It's, it's, that's his holdout. Hail up. Mary. 
Well, is there going to be a Hail Mary of sorts today? We just saw news that there's going to be some, you know, quote unquote, big Ted Cruz announcement at four o'clock this afternoon. Sure. What do we what are we thinking that is? Yeah. So Cruz is teasing a 4 p.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. Central time, an, a major announcement in Indianapolis today. Um, the two most kind of talked about possibilities for the announcement. Uh, I guess first we can start with uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, who Cruz and other candidates uh, have been courting. He's been neutral in the race. There was some speculation that maybe this could be Cruz unveiling an endorsement for Mike Pence. That now looks unlikely. Um, his because office, Pence has basically said as much. His office has confirmed that he's not going to be at that rally. So If you're endorsing would, somebody, yeah. it would kind of make sense to like, be there in the flesh. Well, Pence, Pence has the added problem. Yeah. He's on the ballot this year. Yep. So, you know, kind of late to declare. It, it would have been politically perilous, I think, for Pence to endorse. He's still rehabilitating his political image from that whole religious freedom uh, battle that the state went through. Uh, and, and as Ross said, he's in a tight re-election battle. Um, so I think we're kind of taking Pence off the table at this point. Um, that leaves us with what has been the speculation since Monday that, that Cruz is zeroing in on picking or naming a running mate. And the one name that his campaign has confirmed that they're vetting is Carly Fiorina, who has endorsed him months ago, who has campaigned with him, who is very, a very popular and able surrogate for him. And so I think that that right now is where the conversation is centered. Um, though the Cruz campaign, they're, they're very smart and perhaps they have something else up their sleeve. I don't so know. and they have not confirmed this is a VP, but I guess no, they were asked if he it was, was a VP. Yeah, he was they asked they this morning say. and he kind of, he kind of um, demurred a little bit. But he's been asked in previous interviews, um, you know, will you know, essentially, will you rule out naming a VP before the Indiana primary, and he has not ruled it out. So I think the possibility is still is still there. As recently as yesterday, he was saying no decisions have been made, and no decisions have been made on uh, who it is and, and when the timing would be. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot going on, a lot of uncertainty. But right now, at least the public signs that, that we can see point to that kind of announcement. And are there any other names besides Fiorina out there? Or not really. Not there? really. There hasn't been a lot of speculation. Julian Castro's not there. in this one? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Wrong team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be major news, but it'd be a surprise. Surprise announcement. Not really. But I mean, the, you know, if, if you're going to pick a VP at this point in the process with with things looking as desperate as they are, it has to be someone um, who's, you know, basically willing name. to lose. Right. Um, you know, well, she you, already lost willing once, to be a, so. a martyr, essentially, because even with Cruz potentially forming a ticket this at this stage in the process, uh, the odds are still, um, you know, pretty low of him, you know, actually prevailing well, and so it, it's, and it, it would, would have be that's a, generous yeah. it would have to be the kind of ticket i mean the only reason you would do that would be to get the kind of ticket that made voters who weren't looking up and going yeah. oh look up and do that and right. I, is fiorina that exciting a candidate sure well, he, here's the case i think for fiorina the case is more short term than big picture um you know number one the stop trump never trump movement needs to be re-energized especially after these past two weeks where trump has just won and won again and again by wide margins in the northeast so ahead of the indiana primary another make or break moment like wisconsin if you listen to some people um they need to they, the, the never trump people stop trump people need to be re-energized um fiorina i think can do that i don't they think need she, a woman it, i really sure think, i mean I, and this, you know, latest round of comments yeah. that have been unearthed about Trump, you know, talking about mm -hmm. his wife, you know, what would you do if your wife was disfigured in an accident or something like that? Yeah. And, you know, he said, well, what are her boobs look like? I mean, you know, they <laughs> I think they absolutely Cruz needs. How, a, how disfigured is the wrong answer? Yeah. Right. What's, disfigured, what's right. disfigured is right. the wrong answer. So that, that's that's maybe one of the short term justifications for it. Also, Carly could help out with with California. She's ran statewide there before she lost, obviously. Mm -hmm. But she's familiar with the Republican infrastructure there and at least the, the political landscape there. And if Cruz wins Indiana, then the next make or break state for him will be California. And so perhaps that's that's one of the tactical considerations. Mm -hmm. um, again, so I think, you know, picking Fiorina may be more about um, dealing with some some short term issues versus big picture, you know, fundamentally change the race. You know, this is probably more correlation than cause. But 
Cruz has been losing consistency consistently since he adopted the semi-establishment label. Sure. I mean, the minute he said, you know, I'm the establishment candidate or that people started labeling him that and he wasn't protesting it, um, he's been in a spiral. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't see running back toward the establishment being a way out here. Sure. Well, I mean, ever since Wisconsin, his whole case that the, you know, the conservative movement, the Republican establishment is coalescing behind him against Trump, that whole case has just collapsed if you look at these numbers in the northeastern states. Um, you know, when you're coming in third with 20 percent of the vote, um, you know, or less than that even in some of these states, it's just hard to continue making that case that you are the unity candidate. Right. I mean, well, I just want to hit on the Kasich relationship. Sure. You know, what was Cruz's strategy and did, were there any sort of fruits of that labor last night? Sure. So for, for people who may not be as familiar with right. it, on I believe it was Sunday night, the Cruz and Kasich campaigns effectively agreed to this strategy where Kasich would back off of Indiana, which holds its primary Tuesday, and Cruz would essentially back off of Oregon and New Mexico and let Kasich uh, compete there on his own against Trump. And was it, and, you know, back off or help them? I mean, you know. Sure. I mean, the way they're, they're, they're telling it is that we're just telling voters where we're going to spend our resources mm-hmm. so you know, and spend it our sounds, time. It sounds to me more like they're telling the super PACs where to spend their resources. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there was also, in each campaign. statement, right. there was also a line that right. said, we expect outside groups or we expect allies, which in uh, political parlance is super PACs. We expect right. allies right. To, to follow our lead. Hint, hint. Yeah. Go over yeah, here. Right. Exactly. We're not so, allowed to coordinate with yeah. you. But, you know, and so I think, you know, practically it means that the Cruz campaign is not going to spend a lot of money in New Mexico and Oregon. It's, it means the Casey campaign is not going to spend a lot of money um, in Indiana next week. And it means that the candidates are not going to spend a lot of their time there. I think that's really all we need to know about the practicality of it. Now, since then, there's been a lot of confusion about whether, you know, should Kasich supporters in Indiana vote for Cruz? Should Cruz supporters in New Mexico and Oregon vote for Kasich? Um, that, that's where I think it gets a little confusing the campaigns to not give any explicit direction on that front. Um, I think since this, those it, those questions have flared up, both candidates have essentially said we're not telling voters how to vote. Do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that. So is there out. a is there a breakup date built into this? Yeah. It's like yeah, if, we, right. if we get all the way to the convention, yeah. I guess they, they break up on the first day of the convention. It's like every, yeah. everyone. Yeah, I mean, one of the big questions too is is how right. long does this last? Another. Uh, looming question and increasingly public question is, does this extend to California, which again is going to be the next battleground, assuming Cruz can win uh, Indiana? You know, there's 50-some congressional districts, I think, in California. 54, Cal- and it's 172 delegates. Yeah. It's it, it's the biggest prize in terms it, of overall delegates. Is, and I don't know this. Is it winner-take-all? I may have to get back to you on that. Okay. Right. Um, but it's, it's I, I a want to say the congressional delegates. districts are winner-take-all. And so there's been some speculation, will the Cruz and Casey campaigns divvy up those congressional districts? Um, you know, and you take Northern California, I take Southern right. California, you take the, the Central Valley or whatever. Um, the Cruz campaign, to, uh, their, their California chairman told me that there, there are no discussions going on about that. But it seems the Casey campaign has been, uh, you know, kind of stoking speculation that there's still a possibility that that kind of could happen in California. Well, one person who is not uh, helping Ted Cruz right now is John Cornyn. <laughs> <laughs> who uh, the other senator from Texas who gave an, a really incredibly blunt uh, interview this week? Saying, who knew John Cornyn was so good at wedgies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Who wants? I to, thought yeah. no, I thought it was remarkable. I mean, we you know John Cornyn's always asked about Ted Cruz. You know, what's your relationship like? You usually oh, we're, some kind it's of, fine. You know, we're friendly. You were you know, spiel. But right. in this interview, he seemed to go a little further than usual and said that <laughs> seemed it's, to. It's clear on tape and press the KERA right, and seemed go further than usual and say you know. 
Ted Cruz did not really get to the Senate to work. He got here to run for president. Yeah, he came to Washington. And, yeah, exactly. I don't to run for pre- president. Quote. Yeah. What I was amused was uh, what, what amused me <laughs> was that this is the pimp. same day, <laughs> and this is a coincidence. This was the same day that Pat Toomey, one of the most endangered Senate Republicans, uh, came out and publicly said, "I voted for Ted Cruz." Yeah. And so you have John Cornyn, Ted Cruz's home state colleague, you know, openly criticizing him, definitely not endorsing him, yeah. and then you have one of the most vulnerable Senate Republicans coming out and saying, "Oh, I voted for Ted Cruz. It's all good." So I thought it was just a fascinating optics. Wow. Well, the writing's on the wall for Patrick Svitek. I mean, you know. <laughs> you may have to live in Austin now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. We're going to Cleveland. We're going to Cleveland. Wheels down. <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Uh, well, let's switching gears. Uh, Jim, I want to talk about a, a fascinating story you wrote this week looking at basically how retiring lawmakers uh, spend their leftover campaign cash, the money that donors have given them. Talk about who you profiled for this story and uh, and what kind of expenditures could, you were looking get at. Get out your Indiana Jones map with the big red arrows. The plane flew here. And then yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and and I just sort of stumbled upon it when I was looking at uh, ethics uh, commission filings for uh, another potential story um, that I haven't written, and I and I just uh, I focused on Troy Frazier, who I, I noticed that since he announced that he was retiring from the Senate, you know, long time. Um, a longtime senator, uh, 19 years or so, um, he has spent um, almost $150,000 um, just uh, well, just in the six months after he announced. He announced uh, in the middle of uh, uh, 2015 that he was leaving. Um, you know, and and a lot of this was on on trips. Um, you know, all of them that he said that were for um, uh, for for reasons related to Senate activities. But he went to Hawaii and stayed there for for quite a while. You know, for a, for a conference and, and then met with. Uh, the Hawaii Senate president, who's a Democrat, to talk about uh, energy policy. Because visiting um, one island wasn't enough. Right. right it wasn't. Yeah. 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 It, it was a. It was a hop between islands. Um, you know, the uh, the Senate president meeting cost uh, his campaign like nine hundred dollars in a in a hotel bill. Um, he went to Paris for um, a conference sponsored by is a Senate Presidents Forum. He also went to South Carolina a month before that for a Senate Presidents Forum. Um, a conference where he also met the Hawaii senator that he later visited in. Hawaii. Um, he, <laughs> you know, he, there's a lot of important yeah. Texas business that happens in both Hawaii and Paris. There is. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, well, and requires well, well, your and actually, spouse to come along. And actually, I, right. I, I did talk to the... Uh, I uh, go alone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I talked to the sponsors of this. Uh, it's called the, the Voter... Um, uh, independent Voter Project, who who holds this Hawaii um, uh, summit uh, every year. And, and I guess they like to get ho- ho- um, Texas and California... Um, politicians together to talk about the differences and similarities in their states. Because so there's no place a, in Texas or California yeah. where you can get a lot of golf or surf or sun. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Let's go to Hawaii. So, but I mean, is there any indication that any of this, in, look, Troy Frazier has been known for doing a lot of traveling. He's got a, a wall in office. You know, he has a private plane. He flies often to, you know, between these events. And, He's and, golfed in more places than we knew there were golf courses. Right. He had charged a, you know, a, I wrote a story a couple years ago about him charging a country cu- uh, country club membership to his, um, to his campaign. But is there anything wrong with this part one and part two is there any evidence that vote or that voters or donors care right pretty much no and no i think mm-hmm. uh, i mean uh, <laughs> le- legally there's there's nothing wrong with it unless someone were to prove that one of these trips were for personal use which is you know a pretty abstract term 
Um, and then, you know, uh, people I talk to say, you know, donors pretty much don't give with strings attached. Um, but, you know, th th there are folks, you know, the, the watchdogs out there who, who say, you know, um, you know, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom Smitty Smith over at Public Citizen who says, you know, this looks like he's just uh, taking donor money for, for junkets and he should be disposing of this in a more responsible manner. You know, um, some other lawmakers um, who are retiring, like, like John Otto has been uh, giving a lot of his um, campaign cash away to charities, um, schools, um, also donating it, donating it to their um, uh, Republican campaigns. Um, so it's it, it's it's folks saying, you know, maybe there's more responsible way to use this uh, than these trips that might look like they're for personal use, but uh, no way to prove it. But yeah, there's nothing legally wrong with it. But if you go three inches the other way, you know, you're Sid Miller and you have this problem where you're spending, you know, Miller went to Oklahoma for the Jesus shot experiment to Mississippi to compete in a rodeo. And the Texas Rangers are investigating to see if those were personal trips or if he had any official business. It looks like Frazier's trips at least have the veneer of right. uh, public business. You right. know, he went to this to... conference. He went to that conference. He right. met with this person. He met and with other that lawmakers person. do this. He's certainly right. not the only one. It's a common right. thing. You, mo you, you know, you can screw it up, but um, mm -hmm. you have a lot of leeway. Yeah. I mean, I do think what's interesting in this case is the fact that he's announced his retirement. So, you know, if, if you're... I think the question is, if you're a lame duck, in theory, if you're on your way out, you know, how are you serving yourself as a legislator or your constituents as a legislator by going to a conference in Hawaii? You know, are you going to bring back what you learn and really dramatically improve your district over the course of that? Well, he's not trip? spending state money. He's spending right. campaign money. Um, right. You know, and, and the law gives you a lot of room. You can't convert it. You can't just, you know, write yourself a check and buy a house or something mm -hmm. like that. But you can use it for things like this. Right. They go that way. You can do the Susan Combs thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's, yeah, I mean, tell us. Yeah. So, Susan, you also had a story this week about what Susan Combs is doing with her leftover war chest, which is about how big? Um, yeah, hers is the biggest that I've come across. It's about $5 million, um, Former comptroller. Um, for, right. Yeah, former comptroller, former ag um, commissioner as well. Um, about $5 million left over, and she's putting, she said about $600,000 into this new women's project. She's founded a 501c4 called the Anywhere Woman Project, and they are working on this. It's kind of unclear what it's going to look like, um, but it, this uh, multi-platform app website called Herdacity um, that's supposed to be, she's calling it, a, you know, a virtual campfire for women to, and, and only women, no boys allowed, she she confirmed. Uh, um, Jim, sure sorry. Be, well. you know. Yep. Well, well uh, yeah, and, and basically <laughs> women are supposed to come discuss, you know, women's issues, and it was inspired directly by this uh, Austin City Council dust-up where... Um, uh, the city manager's office invited um, uh, speakers from uh, to fly in and talk about how um, how city staff have to interact with women differently now that there's an all-woman city council. So, kind of is interesting history uh, there. But her story, her story, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't know, you know, once the the app launches, because there's no boys allowed, I don't know how I'm going to verify. What it is, so I can write about it. You know, I might have to have you log on, Emily. If you look up and all the women are occupied doing something, in order they won't show you what they're doing. That's probably where they are. Herdacity. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Who named it? Herdacity. Not a great name. Maybe they'll. There's still time to. Now she, she Combs seemed pretty excited about that. Oh, name. all right. She she said yes. It's it's her and audacity. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll get some, some women in marketing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Rodney, who is behind the camera here with our uh, Facebook listeners, do we have any um, questions or comments or ideas from the peanut gallery? Uh, 
more about back to Cruz. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Let's talk about him. We don't have much time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be here forever. Uh, Gail Galloway asks, what possible benefit to Cruz to name a running mate at this point? Hmm. Good question. Sure. Well, like we were discussing, I feel like the, there are short-term benefits. I mean, the, the anti-Trump forces need some kind of rallying point after two weeks of just devastating losses in the Northeast. Um, and really, he needs you know, some good news. Needs some good news. <laughs> he needs I mean, to Cruz change the subject. Ever since right. Wisconsin, is bad news cycle after bad news cycle for him as far as the elections are concerned. Um, so it would generate some enthusiasm. I don't know whether how much enthusiasm it would generate. Um, again, California would be a consideration because she has experience in, in she has a lot of political experience there. It could energize women. Energize women, um, and she is his most popular surrogate by far. I mean, you're, if you're ever at one of the events in person where Cruz and, and both Fiorina are, are speaking or appearing together, people are always yelling out "Carly for VP" or "Make her VP," put her on the ticket, or "Carly for president." Um, still, a lot of uh, a lot of Carly fans out there, and they show up at these Cruz events, and they really like they really like her, and they really like to hear what she has to say. Um, you know, and also, I mean. Perhaps there isn't much of a benefit. Perhaps this is really one of the last cards they have to play mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, they certainly didn't make the deal with Kasich from a, a position of, of strength, in my opinion. Um, and this may be another recognition that, you know, uh, this is really kind of a last resort. Mm -hmm. This is an everybody go long thing. This is, you know, we're out of time. We don't have any other plays left. Yeah. Uh, everybody go long or we're just going to throw a Hail Mary pass. And See what happens. If he didn't win in Indiana, he's you know I think he's probably baked anyway. But if he didn't win in Indiana, he's yeah. mathematically baked. Yeah. Right. So the question for them may not be how does this you know necessarily benefit us. It may be how does this keep, keep us, us alive through Indiana right. basically. Right. Yep. Uh, new topic. Sure. Someone asked Philip uh, Boutwell, is there any type of update on the school finance lawsuit? How long is this going to take? Hmm. Uh, we never know. It's a big black box called the Texas Supreme Court. They heard the case in the first week of September. There was a theory for a while that they would certainly rule by the end of the year, and then there was a theory that they would certainly rule by the time it played in the primaries, and then there was a theory that they'd rule after the primaries, and here we are in April. Uh, they can rule we, whenever they want yeah, to. We hold our breath every Friday. <laughs> right. We don't know what they're going to do. We do know that the lower court decision um, agreed with the six or 700 school districts that sued the state that the current system of school finances so out of balance that it's unconstitutional in all regards. So if the Supreme Court goes along with that, it's a big expensive thing. If they go along with part of it, it's more or less expensive. They could also say, nah, we're not going to decide this, send it back to the courts. Mm -hmm. And we have basically zero price tags in any scenario. Yeah, until you, until you know what, they're, what they find unconstitutional, you don't know any way to estimate what it'll cost mm -hmm. to fix. Mm -hmm. One more? Sure. Uh, David Brockman asks, are Paxton and Sid Miller's donors and supporters concerned about these officials' legal problems? Maybe repeat the question for the podcast. Sure. Uh, oh, right. The question is, uh, are Paxton and uh, Sid Miller's donors, you know, sort of worried about their political fate, uh, given that, you know, Paxton is, is has been, you know, is facing charges around uh, securities fraud, and uh, Sid Miller is also really in the hot seat over taking these, um, these trips, basically what it looks like on the state's dime. Right. You know, do their donors care? Uh, nah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the best thing that happened to these guys is that it happened at the first year of their term. Mm -hmm. So the time when they really are under political fire and, you know, trying to put together reelection runs is a couple of years from now. So, so 
the best thing you can say here is that they have some recovery time. If they were on this year's ballot, I think they'd be up the up the proverbial creek. But sure. But, but what's yeah. interesting is that the Paxton allegations were all out there in the media before he was even elected. So clearly, donors were not very stirred up about it, you know, ahead of him uh, being elected. But you didn't have indictments, and you didn't have civil fraud charges in federal court filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of you know now you can see the flames, then you can see the smoke. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, they could both uh, be exonerated here and go. On to big, vibrant, you know, political careers. Jim Maddox did it. Kay Bailey Hutchison did it. They're not dead yet, but yeah. um, in terms of their politics, the timing's probably pretty good. Yeah, I don't know how much their donors and supporters are concerned, but they're certainly quiet. Um, right. There is no, yeah. <laughs> there is no public rallying around these guys. Um, there's no, you know, there's no holding a rally at the courthouse like they did for Rick With Perry, Rick essentially. Perry. Um, so, you know, I'm sure if you call up, you know, different activists, you know, they'll tell you, or different activists align with these people, they'll tell you it's a political right. witch hunt or whatever. But no one is volunteering their defense of these guys, basically. Yeah. Um, even people who are, would typically be friendly to them. You do see more of that kind of support around Paxton than yeah. around Miller. Right, which I think is, is is interesting. I mean, and you've seen Abbott come out and basically say, you know, regarding uh, Sid Miller, well, there needs to be a thorough investigation. I haven't seen anything from his office on Paxton, which, you know, have you seen anything from his office on Paxton? No, the most recent remark, actually, I think he's had on Paxton was when we interviewed him after the right on the day of the Texas primary on March 1st. And he said, sure, absolutely, when asked if he still had confidence in Paxton. Since then, I don't think we've I've, I haven't seen any public remarks from him on Paxton or any remarks. Right. Well, it doesn't look like Paxton's cl- uh, staff has a lot of um <laughs> confidence in him. I mean, we've seen like an utter defection, including, I mean, two people at the top and then an additional one last night, right, Ross? Right. He had uh, two spokespeople leave um, and his uh, first assistant attorney general, which is, you know, the that's usually the person who actually runs the big law firm that is the attorney general's office, Chip Roy. Um, those guys have left. So he probably went to work for a Ted Cruz pack, so he may need a job soon, and you, too. You can't even leave Paxton's office without getting bad press because right. you're still getting paid in all these stories. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, Chip Roy may just have a virtual resume out there. This changes. You know, check back. Yeah. <laughs> Put everybody on a, on an RSS feed. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, well, there is one topic that I want to hit. Sorry, Facebook listeners. Uh, I want to talk about Bernie Teed. And uh, his latest courtroom battle, Bernie went uh, basically, you know, back to court for resentencing. Uh, He was the one who was the subject of the uh, Richard Linklater film. You know, I think a lot of folks thought, you know, maybe he would get a a better deal this time around, time served or something like that. You know, he had a fleet of attorneys, including one of the Daguerrean brothers working for him. Well, the original prosecutor who put uh, T.D. in jail for the uh, murder, Danny Buck kind of kind of uh, pulled back and said, "Yeah, I think he deserves another trial." Um, and they had great hopes. They had a trial, and, and he got hammered, ninety-nine to life. I mean, ninety-nine to life. Right? Right. And I think nobody was thinking it was going to be nearly that bad. Right. Right. So. The Nugent family out of Amarillo is the family of the woman that was murdered here, and they really made it a cause and said, "You know, the movie misconstrued this whole thing. Uh, he's been turned into some kind of a folk hero, and he is not one." She's been turned into and, kind of a jerk, and she was not one. And right, and they they pressed their case and um, actually recast this a little bit and. Um, the court came away saying, you know, that that's a murderer, put him away. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. You, you look at this case and it is somebody who, you know, <laughs> shot someone in the back, put them in a deep freeze and spent all their money. Yeah. He, she, her body wasn't discovered in the deep freeze for nine months and he was spending, 
you know, he was spending a bunch of her money without her knowledge, apparently, well, allegedly. Especially once she was dead. Before <laughs> she was dead, and then after she was dead, you know, um, kept spending. Right. Right. It, it seems like it's hard to imagine this being, you know, a rash decision to, to be oh. fed up with her behavior, kill her, and then put her in the deep freeze. Right. right. It, was, it wasn't, a, wasn't a moment of passion. It was a year of passion. I right. Guess. And would we, you know, would the conversation have been this same conversation if this were a totally different type of criminal, you know, somebody, you know, uh, an inner city case, a drug case? I mean, I don't know. I think that, that this got a lot of sort of positive press as a result of the, of the film. Well, the family came out and said Nugent's one Hollywood zero. So that's right. kind of how they saw it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, Rodney, do we have any other uh, questions out there? No, it's quiet. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll make it a quick one then today. Um, let's see. Do I need to, oh, I'm not thanking any sponsors today. That's taken care of. That's all the time we have. So if you have questions or comments, you can email them to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. Uh, you can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at TexasTribune.org slash Tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Patrick, Jim, and our producer, Todd, and our man on Facebook video, Rodney Gibbs, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. I'm going to put my phone down and brag for a minute and then I'll pick it back up.